Hey, what's up, sci-fi fans? This is Aaron Eisenberg. You know me from Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Nog, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Thank you all. This episode brought to you by Michael Crate and James Husband. Special love goes out to Lee Kemp, who manages our Facebook page. If you like what you're hearing here on the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way. And by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today. Audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I'd say we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. Yes, who's coming to dinner? Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. I'm Chrissy Raffensperger. I'm Dave Sellers. And tonight we have a special episode um, just chatting about uh, some of our favorite alien race, from one of our favorite alien races from Star Trek, and that is the Ferengi. So, uh, you guys excited about the Ferengi? Absolutely. Always. Yeah, and Dave, <laughs> how many rules of acquisition do you know? Oh, I lost count. <laughs> Did you used to know all of them, just to prove how much of a nerd you are? No, not all of them, but I used to be able to rattle them off. Now, granted, the numbers weren't anywhere lined up to what the actual uh, rule was, but I used to know quite, quite a bit of them. Yeah, and just in just to youth. clarify, Miles, the the Frangi, and I forget this, the Frangi were only in Deep Space Nine, or am I wrong about that? That is no. incorrect. We we first saw them in season one of Next Generation, I forgot and that. originally they were supposed to be the new baddies for you know there be uh, you know more an adversarial race like the Klingons or Romulans were. For the original series, however, it, it just didn't work that way, and so I mean they were still adversarial, but more in a different comedic sort of way um, moving forward. They're just in it for profit. I mean, that's right. What's wrong with that? Nothing. You're in it for commercialism and profit. Well, very good. So uh, we had a chance, and one of the awesome things that we had a chance to do is in the past year. We've interviewed two Ferengi from the show Deep Space Nine. Miles, why don't you tell us about the first guest that you and I had a chance to sit down with? I believe it's Shirley Forty, right? Yeah, we, we, this uh, this last one, uh, you and I got a chance to meet uh, Aaron Eisenberg. Uh, he, had a, he had a reoccurring character on Deep Space Nine. He played Nog, he was the son of Rom, nephew to Quark, and uh, probably had... I mean, D Space Nine, many characters had really good character arcs, but he had a particularly good character arc uh, where we saw his character change and grow throughout the series. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's a favorite among many D Space Nine fans for, uh, for, for, for doing that. Yeah, well, he was, he was uh, Jake's friend, right, in the, in the show? Yes, he was Jake's friend. He broke a lot of molds in, the, in Ferengi society. Uh, he was well, he had a Starfleet, that's for sure. Yeah, that was that was that was his big claim to fame, but um, yeah, again, just as far as 
giving characters a character arc. Uh, the, the, the show gave Nog a really good character arc, and it was really enjoyable to see throughout the seven seasons. Yeah. And, and Dave, did you in particular like Nog? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and even like Miles was saying about his story arc, it just watching him become this from this mischievous, thieving child to a Starfleet officer, a war veteran, watching him deal with his PTSD from losing his leg. You know, spoiler alert. Sorry, everyone. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it brought through a very nice, a very nice transition getting to watch the kid grow. Now you watched Deep Space Nine too, right? What, when I was much younger, so, right. and it would have been sporadic because it probably would have been like on, and then I would have started watching it. And depending on whether or not like my parents were paying attention, depending on whether or not I got to watch the whole episode or got sent to bed. Oh yeah, because <laughs> of the timing of it, right? So, uh, but do you remember Nog from watching the show? Do you remember the Ferengi? On the show? Oh, I definitely remember the Ferengi. I'm terrible with names, so like wow. I would have to. He'd Look be at the, him. He, he would be the youngest one. He'd be the kid of Frankie. Oh, yeah. So he yes. was. A, yeah. So I he was. He, he was the only. He was the only Frankie on the show that was a kid. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I remember. Yeah. Well, very good. So we had a chance to sit down with him, and uh, he was. A, he gave us a very good, a very nice interview. Yeah, he was. I mean, as far as a guest, he was a great guest for shore leave. He was. You know, I, I, you know, I, you and I saw him. He was having. You know, lots of conversations, even spirited at times with with fans about the show and other things. Uh, If you're at a con and he's a guest, make it a point to, you know, spend a little extra money, get that autograph or picture or whatever. He's he's a very fan-friendly guest, very enjoyable to to, to see and meet. And I was really glad we got a chance to meet him this year. Yeah, we we interviewed him on the floor. So with other people around, but even in our interview, you're going to hear a convert. You'll hear that spirit. He's very passionate about the character that he played, and he's kind of made it part of his livelihood. In fact, they do a. He does a podcast. It's with it's with Jake, right? Now he's. No. Yeah, I believe. Well, I think he and yeah, he and Circle Lofton. We're going to do a podcast together. I'm not sure if that got off the ground yet or not, but um, at the time he was doing a video, a Vimeo podcast with. Um, uh, Garrett Wong, where they're both That's discussing right. That's uh, right. um, both both their shows, but you know, he, I know he was in discussion with Sir Lofton possibly doing a, a, a podcast. I'm not sure if that that happened yet or not. Dave, you were going to say something? No, I, I remember the one with uh, with Garrett Wong that we were talking about. That was the one I thought uh, that he was. I didn't hear. I didn't know about the one with uh, Sir Lofton. Well, I know there was discussion, but. Okay. The last I heard about Sirk Lofton is he actually had it. He has a restaurant out in California, right? Or he did. Does he serve Creole food there? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) But anyways, well, we hope you enjoyed this interview that we did with Aaron Eisenberg, uh, one of our our favorite Frankie from Deep Space Nine. And we'll be back after the interview to uh, share a little bit and lead into another Frankie that we got to interview at the Farpoint Con this past year, Farpoint 2019. You want to deceive me, Commander? Nog, I've given your request a lot of thought. I appreciate that, Commander. But I'm afraid I'm going to have to turn you down. Turn me down? Why? Did I do something wrong? 
It's not anything you did, Nog. You're just not Academy material. Here. This belongs to you. Commander, can't we talk about this? There's nothing to talk about. We both know you'd never make it through the Academy. You couldn't handle the workload or the discipline. You wouldn't last two weeks. That's not true! I'm a hard worker! I prove that to you! It doesn't matter. And I'm not going to put my reputation on the line just to satisfy some whim of yours. It's not just a whim. I'm serious about joining Starfleet. I don't have time for this, Nog. Now, whatever little scheme you had, you can forget it. I'm not giving you that letter. It's not a joke or a scheme. I want to join Starfleet. I want it more than anything I've ever wanted in my life. You're a Ferengi. Why would you want to be in Starfleet? Where's the profit in it? I don't care about profit. Then what do you care about? Come on, now, tell me. Why is it so damned important that you get into Starfleet? Why are you doing this? Because I don't want to end up like my father! Your father. That's right. My father. He's been chasing profit his whole life. And what has it gotten him? Nothing. And you know why? Because he doesn't have the lobes. And neither do I. And a Ferengi without profit. It's no Ferengi at all. The 18th rule of acquisition. My father is a mechanical genius. He could have been chief engineer of a starship if he'd had the opportunity. But he went into business like a good Ferengi. The only thing is, he's not a good Ferengi. Not when it comes to acquiring profit. So now, all he has to live for is the slim chance that someday, somehow, he might be able to take over my uncle's bar. Well, I'm not going to make the same mistake. I want to do something with my life. Something worthwhile. Like joining Starfleet? I may not have an instinct for business. But I have my father's hands and my uncle's tenacity. I know I've got something to offer. I just need the chance to prove it. see that you get that chance. <laughs> You're gonna recommend me to Starfleet Academy? <laughs> I'll send the letter the first thing tomorrow morning. Commander, I don't know how to thank you. <laughs> oh. Don't thank me yet. You still have a lot of work. Don't worry. You're never going to regret this.
ladies and gentlemen, we're at Shirley 40, and we're hanging out with Mr. Aaron Eisenberg, probably best known in love for his portrayal of Nog on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. However, check out his IMDb page. It contains other sci-fi work as well as work in movies, anthology shows, and genre shows. Mr. Eisenberg, welcome, and thank you for taking time to talk with us in the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Delighted to have you. One of the main things I... I am, sir. Okay, just making sure you're, you're with me here. No. <laughs> I'm a fan. No, I thought a, that was on your script to say, you know, the last... Never mind. No, 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 no. no. You're, you're just, you're we like to be prepared. Toes. That's right. I'm, well, I'm going to mess with you, man, so you better pay all attention. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll... All right, go I'll, ahead. What's I'll, the first question? He's a Frangie. Come on. <laughs> I'm nervous now. One of the many <laughs> things I liked about Star Trek Deep Space Nine was that for many characters, there's growth and change. We saw that particularly with Nog. From the beginning, did the writers have an idea where the character Nog was going, or did that just evolve over time? Well, that would be more a question for the writers, to be honest with you, because I, I wouldn't know if they had an idea. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think they had an idea to have Jake have a friend, mm -hmm. and then I think it did evolve. Uh, it really did. Uh, I didn't get into Starfleet uh, until the fourth season, uh, and I think uh, maybe that's when Ira and some of the other writers started to kind of get an idea of maybe where they wanted to go with Nog. Mm -hmm. um, so I was glad that they did. They wrote some great, amazing stuff for me, uh, and I was blessed to have what they had. So It was neat to see yeah. that growth. It was really great. It was yeah. great to play it. It was great to have the trust and the opportunity. And I felt, you know, every episode would be my last episode. So every time they called me to work, I was just happy to work. Mm -hmm. And for me, every time I, I got a script, it was like reading the next chapter of a book. Uh, so for them, what they would tell me is, well, we'd give you something, you would knock it out of the parks, we'd give you something again. And you'd knock it out of the parks, we'd give you something again. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> well, so, no pressure then. Yeah. No, no. So I was, I was very blessed. I was just, I mean, that's really a question for the writers to see yeah, how they I've, felt, you know, about Nog and, and where they felt he was going to go. And I think that's been touched upon in many articles of Deep Space Nine right. in different magazines when they talk about the shows. I'm, yeah. I'm just very fortunate. It was a very symbiotic uh, yeah. relationship, too, especially because they were close to the set. Mm -hmm. So right. they got to get a little, get to know us a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I'm always fascinated by the experience of actors who wear a lot of prosthetics and makeup. Always? Yes. Always, yeah. Always. Good, okay. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of work. There's a lot there's of work. There's a lot of work, yeah. I wonder, how, I, wonder how he, I wonder how he or she is feeling underneath that. I get you. But um, how are you able to deal with getting suited with prosthetics, makeup, and acting and performing while wearing them? Why are you shaking your head? No, it's funny. It's just funny, your reaction. It's, just, it's hilarious. Uh, uh, well, you know, uh, to be honest, it was the first time I was in prosthetics, and you really you just dive in. Mm -hmm. You know, your job as, uh, as an actor is you get a role, and then you step up to the plate, uh, and, and you do the best you can. And, you know, it's not like I had tons of mask work in my life mm -hmm. uh, to go, oh, you know, what am I going to do here? And I guess it comes down to personality to some degree because I didn't have a problem with it. I wasn't afraid of it. And and I, I guess I just had faith that if I played the honesty of what I was doing without trying to overdo it, um, it'll come through. Mm -hmm. I guess I had to have faith in that. Yeah. And as I did each episode that I did, no one ever said, hey, can you give a little bit more or can you do a little bit less? Mm -hmm. No one ever corrected me. Mm. And I don't watch my work. Um, and, and you know, a lot of people do. A lot of people watch it. And I think if you're in a in the stage as an actor where you could watch your work and analyze it and go back and make adjustments without being overly sensitive about it um, or emotional, I'm too emotional. So I don't watch my work. So one of the pluses of that is in theater, I remember when I did a play, 
the Arizona Theater Company, one of the uh, actors told me, don't read the reviews. And I go, oh, why? He's all, hey, good morning. How are you? Uh, he said, uh, because what will happen is, whether positive or negative, you might change your performance. He said, just, just do the work, rehearse, and then go out there and do it. And then just let it, let it go where it goes. Don't, don't overthink it. Don't try to re, readjust all the time. Just be. And, and, you know, so That's with my advice. show, it is, I think, for theater. But if, if you're somebody like Tom Cruise, who I'm sure walks into dailies all the time, analyze, hey, we should redo that scene. Let's reshoot that. Um, things like that. I think, I think that's also an elevated uh, place of acting because you can objectively look at your work. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do and that. And you got to know yourself that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when it comes to the makeup, and I, are we on a time thing? Just let me know because I talk a lot. No, so I don't so know how long your podcasts go. No, it's fine. 5, 10, 10 15 minutes. We're oh, good. Oh, okay. We're good. So we're, we're, good. All, we're good for two questions, basically. Because I see you going... No, I just I don't want to I don't want to take up a lot of your time either. So, no, yeah, I'm so. fine. We're, right. we're this is a good time. Okay. Um, they're, they're, it's very slow in here. Yeah. Do you want a chair? See, uh, it was Miles. Am yes. I right? Yeah, yeah. Miles finally sat down. For those of you who don't get to see what happened, so I'm just telling you, he's probably not used to having. <laughs> he's oh my settling, God, this settling guy's in for talk. the long ride, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> they're both realizing. Oh God, what did we get ourselves yeah, why, into? This why guy talks this guy a lot. To do, no. <laughs> uh, so you know, and and some people when they get in makeup get claustrophobic, and so it shuts them down. So it is a tough thing to get into for for many actors. I actually saw that happen on a show. I saw an actor who got set up for it and said, "I can't do this. I can't do this." And and they had to hire somebody the next day uh, to replace them. So it, it, it does have an effect on people. I'm fortunate enough that it did not negatively affect me. As a matter of fact, it, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, here's my character. You know, it, and it helped me. And I'm already big already in life. I'm kind of, I have a, a large personality for such a small body. So it's not, I'm not a subdued introvert. I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert, so it, it kind of works for me. You know? Oh, good. Cool. When you were auditioning for Nog, were you much of a Star Trek fan or a sci-fi fan? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I would say, I mean, I was more of a fantasy fan, I would say. Read a lot of fantasy books, wanted to make Dragonlance a movie, still do, <laughs> love to play Tasselhoff, big fan of uh, Shannara, not oh. too happy what they did with it on the TV show, 2CW for me, That's I think they should have made it darker, it's such a great, and uh, I love you Terry Brooks, but I always thought you were like, I'm going to hold this until the right producer comes along and really hits it out of the ballpark and I don't think he did it uh, I still love your books I'm still a fan of, of you <laughs> maybe your other books you'll uh, you know hold it a little closer because there's a lot of potential in those books uh, especially when you saw Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings was amazing oh absolutely uh, and they could totally do a Shannara absolutely it should have been at that level not not in a CW level in my opinion uh, no offense to the actors in the show I think I think they all did a, a great job, and it's fun, but I wanted it. I guess I like a little bit more serious, darker stuff. So I was more into that. I did watch the original series, but I never watched TNG. And when I went on the audition, I, I had no idea what a Ferengi was. So they gave me a VHS copy of The Last Outpost. Okay. Uh, so I watched that. And this is a funny little anecdote I'll give, and I'll end the question, or the answer to your question. So uh, I watched The Last Outpost where starring Armin Shimmerman playing one of the Ferengi. Well, when Armin came on DS9, he wanted to do everything opposite of what he did there. He wanted to give the Ferengi a whole new road. Yet I was basing my Ferengi on the last outpost. So, so it was kind of good because he takes his 
Quark one direction, but I take Nog another direction, and Rom takes it a third direction. And then they just constantly wrote for all three of us and built our characters up, which is what they had to do, the writers I'm speaking right. of, because the show depended upon the stories coming into the station. Yeah, yeah. it makes it more interesting. Yeah. When you were informed that Nog was going to be a Starfleet cadet and later an officer, did you like that idea, or were you not sure? Uh, both. I love the idea, but I thought I was off the show. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, when sense. I got the script for Heart of Stone, I thought, this is it. I'm done. They're sending me to Starfleet, and the run is over, and I was kind of upset. Yeah, and I thought that was a cool choice at the same time. Great scene with Cisco. Great episode. Loved it. Uh, and I get a lot of compliments on that scene. People really, really love that scene. And that means everything to me. I mean, it really does. Same with Paper Moon, when they talk about Paper Moon. People say, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, so I'll hear it a million more. The day people stop talking to me is the day I get upset, right? The day right. I stop getting invited to conventions to meet fans and, and, and be here is the day I'm like, oh, now it's over, you know? It's that, that's the sad day. So when I got the script, I kind of, not very good at putting a lid on my mouth at times. I've gotten better. I know <laughs> when I, you know, okay, I went too far. But I started to articulate that I was kind of upset that this was it. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm done. I'm done. And somehow that got up to Rick Berman, uh, you know, executive producer of our show, Big, big Chief, uh, the principal. He called me into the office. Uh, and that's like going to the principal's office. So I'm right. like, oh, can I cuss on this show? Uh, sure. Okay. So I went, oh, shit, nothing too bad. Right. Uh, I'm going up to the principal's office. Uh, and I got really nervous. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? So I get up there, and he pulls me into the office, and he sits me down and says, listen, we love you. We love your work. You're not off the show. If anything, this will bring you more work, all right? I go, thumbs up, okay. <laughs> Went back to work, and he was right. I worked more. And even Armin told me that, too. He's all, now you're part of the solution of the show. You're part of the Federation. You're going to work a lot more than you did before. And he was right. I worked a lot more after that. Fantastic. Yeah. With the advent of Star Trek Discovery, there was much talk about exploring PTSD with the Ash Tyler character. However, I thought Deep Space Nine did an excellent job exploring it with Nog in the episode. It's Paper Moon, which we just talked about a little while ago. What was it like filming that episode for you, and uh, what, what has been some of the feedback you've got? Uh, good question. First of all, in regards to DS9 with PTSD, I'm not the only one they explored that with, by the way. Okay. They explored it with Kira, and they also explored it with Avery. Uh, with yeah. Cisco, yeah. and that's not very—that's not mentioned very often. It's not as prominent in the show as Paper Moon was, where they literally delve into it. Right. But it was—it was given, and and right now on our show, the Alpha Quadrant. So Garrett Wong and I are, are going, and I'll talk about that at the end, just to give yeah, a little absolutely. Plug. We, we do need yeah, to thank plug you, it. thank you. But we're, we talk. I've only watched the first two episodes of DS9. I haven't watched our show yet, and I'm like, oh, like ever. Yeah. So <laughs> watching the first two, I'm like. Cisco's dealing with PTSD. Kira's dealing with it, and it's affecting them in, in their world, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, interesting, I'm always given that question uh, that you gave me. I was honored that they gave me an entire episode. They gave an entire episode a recurring guest star, and me. Uh, so I was, I, I was uh, you know, up to the plate again. Mm -hmm. Got to hit a home run. Worked very hard. Jimmy Darren called me. He goes, hey, you want to rehearse? I said, Absolutely. Which was amazing. The only other people I ever rehearsed with were Armin and Max and Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Coombs. I hope I said his name wrong because I always think I say it wrong, said it correctly. Um, and so I'm rehearsing with Jimmy. We're, we're preparing. It's great, excellent, and and it was uh, a wonderful episode. And I'll be honest with you, 
when I read it, I didn't think, oh, PTSD. I didn't label it. Honestly, what I thought of is, where's Nog's head at? What's he doing? Where's where, What's he thinking? Where where's Where is he at? And I'll be honest, I'm so glad I made that decision rather than label it. Because I think if you label something as an actor, you try to play what you think that label means. Rather than ask yourself, where am I at? Where's my head at? What, what I'm... What's, what's going on with me right now? And honestly, I thought Nod retreated. He wanted to hide from the world. He didn't want to make a decision in his life. He didn't want to deal with what he's just been affected with. So it, so it was easier to go live like a Ferengi. I can go pretend I'm a Ferengi now, and I don't have to deal with anything. And when he was out in the real world, get the F away from me. I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yep, that's, that's not even my friend Jake, you know? So... And I'm starting to get emotional. Yeah. <laughs> so you can, so you can, and we're going to skip down to the last question, That's right. uh, listeners, because yeah. because uh, we're, we're forgetting to have a yeah, lot here. Because so. we, your fans to get, want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, but we can we can go back to more if you want. I don't mind if there's more time later. Uh, so to finish the question, uh, I've gotten some of the greatest compliments on that episode, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you how many veterans have come up to me and expressed how much that meant to them. Mm and help them through things. You know, we all gravitate towards music, books, friends, uh, uh, psychologists, whatever to help us through the challenges we go through in life. I read books, I listened to music. When I was on dialysis, some people, if this made something to them, means everything to me. If that helped them through those times, yeah. Last question. So, what's next on the future for you? What can we be plugging? And uh, what what, 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 will we see you in later? Uh, well, I guess at the moment, the biggest thing right now is, uh, and they can't see what I'm lifting up, so I don't know why I do that. It's a, <laughs> it's a visual. It's called the Alpha Quadrant. You guys can take this if you want. Maybe Absolutely. you can put it on we'll the show. It. Absolutely. So uh, Garrett Wong and I, uh, we do uh, a little webcast called the Alpha Quadrant, where we started to review different sci-fi shows and discuss them and debate them and give our critique, as well as have guests on the show. We've gone through the first season of Discovery and Orville. I loved Discovery. I was very critical of the Orville. I felt it could have been a lot funnier or a lot more Trek. So I felt it was too even. It was too, ah, oh, we're not going to commit either way. And, and so if you go through our show and listen to our past episodes that are currently free, you can listen to my critique on uh, Orville. I'm sorry, Seth. I love you, man. But I felt you missed so many great opportunities at comedy uh, on the show. And if you go, I won't go through them now because I know you're. Right. I know that he's dying right now, man. We got to get out of here. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> and uh, I just want to respect the time. No, I got you. It's okay. And right now, what we're doing now, this is what's kind of fun. We we kind of changed the format somewhat. So Garrett and I haven't watched our shows nor e- each other's shows. So we're watching DS9 and Voyager together not in the same room then we get on the show and discuss that that episode for for each show and critique it and debate it and talk about it uh and right now we've just started so we've only gone through the pilot in the first episode i've been a bit critical of voyager Mm -hmm. because i feel like they set up a wonderful premise with a lot of drama only to soften it in the first two episodes by making chakotay you know the second to janeway and then making Torres chief engineer. They should have drawn out that tension a little bit longer. So I'm very upset that they didn't do that. Uh, but uh, that's where we're at right now. And I was, you know. I can't wait. I'm going to check that out. Absolutely. Yeah, please do. It's a lot of fun. And people can join in and give us a question through a vid- video mailbag or on Twitter. We have a Twitter account, a Facebook account, and the website. It's called the Alpha Quadrant with Garrett Wong and myself. 
Evil Dick Donato is producing it from Big Brother fame. So it's a lot of fun. And I'm, nice. as you can tell, I talk a lot, very opinionated, so you get to hear what I have to say. Thank you all for having me on the show. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you so much. You. Right on. All right, thanks. And we are back. Hope you enjoyed the interview that Miles and I had a chance to do with your favorite kid friend. And if you get a chance, make sure you hit up Aaron Eisenberg on Facebook, on Twitter, or on on his podcast and say that you heard him on the diner. Well, we had a chance. Actually, I didn't, but um, you guys had a chance to sit down with this next guy who was the Grand Nagus on Deep Space Nine. Were you a part of that interview? No. That was the day before, I think, that happened. That, that was the That was the day before, before that you um, – but uh, Miles, Dave, I don't care who takes point here, but uh, tell me a little bit about how this went down. <laughs> well, we almost – I was afraid we weren't going to get the interview because uh, he didn't show up at the agreed-upon time. And that happens. I'm not complaining. Things happen. But uh, – and so I, I was – prepared us not to get the interview but then he showed up towards the end of our, our live show and i was like and M's like set up the sound equipment and so <laughs> we, we did the best we could and <laughs> uh and, and so uh he was he was very kind enough to give us like 20 minutes or so of his time so we had we had a fun conversation with him then yeah and, but by toward the end miles means we had everything packed up and we were turning and heading to the door and he shows up coming in and yeah he was only scheduled for 10 minutes and he gave us an easy 20 mm-hmm. it was and, it was it was very cool yes yeah, he so was he, an interesting fella he was supposed to be a part of the live show you guys were doing right he, he was yeah. and uh it didn't happen that's okay you know you, you just roll with it but um what's important is you know he and his handler did show up and and he he, he gave us a like i said he gave us plenty of time to have a good conversation with him so what was it like sitting down with the Grand Nagus? Well, I mean, he's not just he's he's. I mean, we Star Trek fans know him, love him for the Grand Nagus, but we you know we also love the movie uh, The Princess Bride, and so uh, to to see you know the man who brought up the character Vicini alive was um, was was fantastic. Also, he was he's just this, he's now this adorable little old man now and he's almost a little subdued he was kind of in, in his conversation where it, when he's playing his other characters he's usually a lot more animated so that was kind of an interesting juxtaposition he's on uh, young but, sheldon now isn't he yes mm, yeah mm-hmm. uh i also want to say we were kind uh keith Ganado was doing a, a self-defense uh seminar and you know, he was kind enough to say, you know, you know, we were we basically we we're, were kind of clashing with this time, but he was like, you know, totally cool. Do what you got to do. So, Keith, I know I thanked you before, but I'm thanking you again for just, uh, you know, letting us, uh, you know, still use that room for our interview during your, your time. Well, very good. So uh, we're going to bring you this interview that we did with the Grand Nagus while Sean. And of course, many of you know him as Vicini from The Princess Bride. Inconceivable. And so, but we hope you enjoy this interview. When this interview ends, we're going to wrap up the show. We'll just uh, allow the exit credits to uh, roll. And you can tune in next time to hear other interviews and actually our review of Star Trek, the next movie. Uh, Star Trek, what is it called? Into Darkness? Yes. Yeah, yes. So Star Trek Into Darkness. 
And uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on it. Arsabite Mining Refineries in the Claria system is now complete. I congratulate you all. Profits are better than ever. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is becoming more and more difficult to find truly lucrative business opportunities here in the Alpha Quadrant. And why? Because no matter where we go, our reputation precedes us. A reputation tainted by the lies of our competitors who maliciously spread the erroneous impression that we are not to be trusted. But now, thanks to the discovery of the wormhole, for the first time we can now avoid such falsehoods. The Gamma Quadrant, gentlemen. Millions of new worlds at our very doorstep. The potential for Ferengi business expansion is staggering. <laughs> and, best of all, no one there has ever heard the name Ferengi. Our reputation will be absolutely stainless. Our word can be our bond. Until we decide to break it. <laughs> Great endeavor. Who else but my father? The Nagus. The Grand Nagus. Yes, yes. I thank you for your confidence, but I must decline the offer. But father, I'm old. The fire dims. I'm just not as greedy as I used to be. Yes, you are. More so. No, my mind's made up. I've already chosen my successor. <clears throat> A leader whose vision, imagination, and avarice will oversee Ferengi ventures in the Gamma Quadrant. The new Grand Nagus! Quark! And if people come in, we'll fight them. <laughs> yes, Keith, Keith can fight them for us. He's a black belt in karate. All right. <laughs> Very good. Do you want to do the intro? I'll do the intro, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at Farpoint 2019, and we're hanging out with Mr. Wallace Sean, an actor with a tremendous body of work. 
currently can be seen in Young Sheldon. Sci-fi fans know him and love him for playing the Grand Negus on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and one of the timeless movies of our generation, playing Cassini in The Princess Bride. Mr. Sean, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us in the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Yeah, and Eureka. And you're all... You, you have a huge body of work, sir. Yes, I remember in Eureka also. There's not enough time on the podcast to talk about <laughs> all of it. It's uh. just, I love, uh, Eureka, I think, is one of my favorite moments because it's just, it's it's such a delicious character because he's serious, but he's got a heart of gold, but he's got to get the job done. And then what they do to him is horrible, but wonderful and very Eureka-esque. So par for the course. <laughs> yes. how, how, how did that come about, you getting onto Eureka? Uh, I was sitting quietly at home, snoring. The phone rang, and they said, "Would you like to be on that show? Come to Vancouver." That was the process. Wow, they, they must have knew that you were the man for the job. They, they, because I'm so old that people have seen me in other things, and they invite me. Sometimes, I mean, they don't often but they sometimes invite me to do things. That's fun. What's the most fun thing you've done so far that you look back fondly on? Well, I can't even discuss that uh, <laughs> on your show. Uh, but I, I mean, I... I well, it's all... To, I mean... Gee, um, sticking strictly to science fiction, uh, you know, I would say that being the Grand Nagus was a high point in my life as a human being. Uh, I, I loved you in that. It was uh, very... Uh, uh, what can I say? Uh, I incarnated certain people who uh, uh, no one knows who they are, but but um, but I became them, and uh, I uh, it was a privilege to uh, enter into that world. It's very complete. Now, that role required you to be in lots of prosthetics and makeup. What was that process like for you? Well, the first time that uh, they put the makeup on, it took eight hours. Two guys doing it. Uh, eventually, they got it down to one guy and three hours. Wow. Um, but... Obviously, you had to very quickly learn some kind of way of relaxing. And, I mean, to say meditating would be giving myself credit for a spirituality I don't have. But I would say I, I, I enjoyed going into a kind of trance. Mm. I mean, it was agreeable, uh, and it was not unpleasant to have someone gently 
massaging your face, I suppose, <laughs> uh, and turning you into something greater and more extraordinary than you really are. It was. Uh, I liked it actually. So you, you enjoyed getting in the, in the makeup and the prosthetics. I did really. Yeah. I mean, it was hard during the day because you couldn't take it off. And you had to learn another discipline. Frankly, I don't know if your readers, I mean, your listeners can handle this, but people touch their faces a lot. We're not mm -hmm. so aware of it. But I'm just in case they don't know that, your listeners are learning that now from me. People touch their face a great deal during the course of a day. And they have little itches and they have little, they scratch them. <laughs> and uh, we Ferengis couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, also, we had very, or at least I had very, very long fingernails, which uh, made everything difficult uh, or practically impossible. Lunch was <laughs> not the normal relaxing break from the day. It was one of the more difficult parts of the day, to be honest. Uh, sometimes in a fit of madness, one would rip off one's Ferenki fingernails. But that, <laughs> that was not really very nice to the makeup artists who had to re-glue them. So I didn't do that very often. As the Vegas, you should have had some feeding you on that. Yeah. <laughs> you were the number one Ferengi. Yeah. <laughs> With your body of work and, all, and everything that you've done, do you ever take a memento from the set, something to remind you? And did you take something from the Nagas? Uh... Well, I'm a very law-abiding person, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm politically a believer in civil disobedience, <laughs> but I, in my daily behavior, I'm very law-abiding, and. Uh, what if I called it self-gifting? <laughs> Well, they would take a very dim view of that. Uh, that's not considered cute on the set of a TV show. Uh, uh, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I actually love souvenirs. And in fact, if you ever saw the way I lived, you'd be... You'd be very sympathetic and horrified to see how many things I seem to have in my possession. But because I do tend to accumulate things and have quite a few storage spaces that I pay for. Uh, so I would have grabbed a lot of souvenirs <laughs> if I could. I mean, including the incredible bowl of worms 
stars that we had to eat at one point. Right. Uh, oh, my and, stars. Uh, I think about it. <laughs> but, uh, no, they actually don't find that kind of thing funny. So even amongst all the uh, possessions that you've accumulated, is it, am I correct in understanding that one of those is not a television set? Yes, it's true. I've never had a television no wonder you've been so productive. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, I don't know. Uh, I've always been afraid I would watch it too much. And my my girlfriend is, is sort of repelled by both the programs and also the sort of visual appearance of television and the sound. So, between the two of us, uh, we've just never, never gotten one. It's good. Uh, I, when I'm on the road and staying in a hotel, I do, I do sometimes remember that there's a TV in the room and, and I look at it. And I always did, in, in the old days, Star Trek always attracted me visually when I would flip through the channels in a hotel room I would often stick on the Star Trek because of the way it looked just thought it looked so great um, but yes I I, I, I am if I'm different from other people, it's because I go through my whole life not knowing what anybody is talking about. Because people are always saying, well, that's just like Captain Bob. In, <laughs> you know, and I sort of smile and don't know what they're talking about. I like that life, though. That's the unplugged life. Well, I'm not completely unplugged. I mean, I... I uh, you know, I listen to Democracy Now! every day, and I, I even have been known to read the paper, and I keep up in different ways. I still read the paper. I won't. I, I physically have to have the paper. I have to have that smell of the ink in the paper. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like news if my hands aren't slightly gray after yeah. I'm done. <laughs> That's amazing. And then you watched Star Trek, and then you were on Star Trek. I know. When did, how did that leap happen? Uh, Another phone call. Yeah. I mean, I just... Uh, yeah, they, they... Well, I mean, at that time, they were not worried. I mean, now, I think... You know, people think, well, is he still... Compass Mentis? Can he still... Talk? Can he remember... Lines, you know, they if they anybody were thinking of hiring me, they'd be having that nervous conversation. Um, but at that time, they assumed I was pretty much as I'd always been, and they called me. I don't know what it was that 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 they'd seen of mine that made them think, "Oh, let's have him." I don't know. Because I was, 
I didn't work my way up to be the leader of the Ferengis. I was appointed right at the top. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I was doing some reading on the internet, and I read that your first job was at Disney World? One of your first jobs as Mickey Mouse. And I was curious if the story that was written about it is true, that your ability to mimic voices is so on point that you were mimicking Mickey Mouse to the point that it weirded children, it weirded people out, and Disney asked you to move on. Yeah, none of the things in that story are true. I never worked. (laughs) Uh, It just seemed really weird and amazing. Never worked at Disney. I never was Mickey Mouse. I don't have any ability to imitate voices. And uh, so this is what this is what uh, this is what our president would call fake <laughs> news. <laughs> Duly noted. It just seemed extraordinary and I wanted to ask. And you really saw that and you think it was about me. Well, I it was a list it was a list of thirty one interesting things about Wallace Shawn and there's this huge oh list. God. It was so outstanding we had to know if it was true. So or not. and some of them were like, Well, this could be, this couldn't be and this just seemed because I know at Disney, if you're in the costume, you're not allowed to speak. Even like no matter when, you don't speak in the costume. Only face characters can speak. And so I thought, this is just strange, but maybe things were different. I don't know. I'm going to embarrass myself and ask. So I did. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I mean, it is remarkable that that uh, the longer that I live, the more uh, stories come about. I mean, not just rumors, but people who come up to me and say... Wow, I haven't seen you since you know we were we were in Tulsa, <laughs> and and I don't know what to say. I've never been to Tulsa. <laughs> I mean, this is real. It happens a lot. The legend of Wallace Shawn. I don't. I mean, I don't. I think maybe I look or not look like, but but. People have seen me in a movie, and they've had they met their old arithmetic teacher in Tulsa, and they've somehow transposed <laughs> the images in their brain because they, and it's, it, I mean, people don't like to be contradicted about their own experience or memories. So, when people congratulate me, for example, for the films of Rick Moranis, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't just immediately laugh and say, you know, no, 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 that's Rick, it's not me, blah blah, because I know that that can really anger people. Yeah. So I either sort of smile and go the other way. Or I say, well, that was not literally me. Close. (laughs) But that was actually him. But I do it very carefully because I, in the old days, I would say, no, no, that's not me. That I wasn't in that movie. Rick Moranis did that. 
and they say, oh, you, I see, you're not, you're being very uh, coy, aren't you? You don't want to admit that you, that you were <laughs> that type of thing, and it can get unpleasant. How was it on the set of Ghostbusters? Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That seemed to be a trait that, uh, that I found a lot of teachers have, knowing that you were a teacher before. Anyone I've come up to that I've had years ago or knew then, oh, yeah, yeah, how I, they have no idea who I am. Yeah. They are responding well, as if I did. Right. Well, yeah. you were 10 years old. That's you didn't it. have a beard. You That's were right. a whole other it's a whole different thing. thing. But yep. they look the same. They look exactly the same. <laughs> you know. Looking at your IMDb page, you're constantly working. When you're given a pitch for a role, is there anything in particular that you are looking for? I'm not constantly working. I just okay. I mean, in other words, the IMDb page doesn't say. Sadly, between <laughs> two thousand and five and two thousand and twelve, he was unable to get any parts because he was out of favor and it's so sad and send him a message and make him feel better. They don't say that. So, yes, no, I, I, I mean, these right now, these are, I've, I've come back from the dead and I have a wonderful uh, recurring part on young Sheldon Mm -hmm. and I've revived but um, yes, I've died out many times, and no, I mean I'm I'm very grateful to be offered anything, and I I I turn down things that I personally find nauseating and feel that they make the world a worse place and. And that they they uh, support some of the nauseating features of American culture. So I stay. Oh, I turn down certain things. Otherwise, I accept anything really that doesn't nauseate me. Right. Uh, if it's just kind of silly, I'll do it. <laughs> well, there's, there's something to be said about having that that level of. Of conviction and principle to put that above a paycheck, <laughs> if you don't believe it, that, that's well. I mean, you're you're very tempted to deceive yourself. Obviously, there's always a temptation to say to yourself, "Well, it's not really that bad," and they're going to pay you. So. It's a kind of constant, uh, I mean, the the evangelist Jimmy Swaggart used to say, there are no good movies. They all went against his principles. Now, sadly, he himself went against his own principles and was sort of disgraced at a certain point. Mm. But, um, yeah, there are a lot of people who uh, would look down on me for some of the things that I have done. But uh, 
I try to keep up that, uh, I mean, I have, well, I mean, I don't mean to grandize myself, but I have turned down money. I mean, there was a time in the 80s when I was sought after a lot for commercials. And as a sort of socialist, I stayed away from them. And uh, I could have been a rich socialist. <laughs> well, with that, Mr. Shaw, your assistant's telling us we have to wrap it up. But uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so, so much. It was, it was a pleasure meeting you. Just delicious. Great thank you. To, great to meet all of you guys. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so, okay. so much. Thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner.